0: A registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin Klein.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, January 10th, 2024 edition. And we are moving through the second trading week of the new year. And you see, you've, you've seen a, a choppy environment already. Down move to start the year, and now you're getting a bit of a rally as we go into tomorrow's big inflation number. And then we start earnings season on Friday, especially with a lot of, a lot of large banks. So, this is a fast moving market. Uh, an economy that it kind of perplexes a lot of people, but if you distill it down to its basics, it's actually not that hard to understand. And that's our job here is to take all of this data because there is a lot of data out there. It's easy to get at least kind of surface level data. The deeper level the deeper data, much different much more difficult, much more expensive. But at the end of the day, it's about concepts that will help drive smart decisions each and every weekday with your money or each and every day with your money, right? Uh, it's, It's not about finding that next stock tip. It's about building the tools so that you don't get caught up in the hype, that you don't make decisions with your emotions. That you are grounded in fact. And that's really our mission each day. It's give you unbiased perspective, develop over 20 plus years of investment experience. And giving you useful data that you can take back to your financial life, your portfolios, your budget. Your total, your total financial picture. And we're gonna look at the market performance for today. We're gonna to run down some show topics as well, but right after we answer our first caller question now.
2: Hi, my name's Dave from Ohio. Been a listener for about three years and I learned a lot, so thanks. I'm looking at a stock in the health sector, Bristol Meyer Squibbs. What would be a good price point to start a position And do you feel the dividend is fairly safe? I'll be listening. Thanks.
1: All right, looking at Bristol Myers Squibb. And this is about a $100 billion market cap company. So a mega cap and they develop pharmaceuticals for the treatment of oncology, immuno science, cardiovascular and fibriotic diseases. 4.7% yield, and it is in a strong downtrend. Its current relative strength is 14. It means 86% of stocks out there in the market have outperformed it over the past year. So that's not good. Revenues continue to decline at a low single-digit pace, and earnings are expected to decline 2% for full year 2023 and then another 4% this year. And then you take a look at its balance sheet, and what you see is a decent amount of debt, about $31 billion in debt. Now, based on their size and their cash flow, that's not really an issue. But they are facing major patent losses going forward. So this is one of those names that it's hard to base on the current numbers because of the uncertainty around those patent losses. And that's what I say about the pharma industry in general right now and why I don't love most of those names is because they're dealing with patent cliffs in many instances, but also regulators cracking down on their ability to raise prices. And there's been a lot of Acquisitions between large large biotechs as well as large biotechs buying small, uh, sorry, large between large pharma companies as well as those large pharma companies buying uh, biotechs. And they have levered up, levered up balance sheets in order to do that. So I think there's a lot of headwinds going forward. And everything about this smells of a value trap. And this is a perfect example of, a lot of people get caught up in this. They're chasing the yield and the yield here is not amazing. It's 4.7. It's solid, but obviously less than you can get for a short term treasury, right? So it's not exorbitant levels of, uh, of, of dividend yield. That is a giant red flag typically, but the red flag here is the chart, right? We've been in an uptrend for almost all of 2023, and this has been in a downtrend for almost all of 2023. So what is going on here? The market is telling you something. And this is where most people get hurt with these quote unquote value names is that it's not just about value. It's about growth as well. It's value at the right price. And that all depends on the growth that the company might have. And this has negative growth. So what's that debt level with those patent cliffs? you want to hold off on this something to watch for maybe some improvements maybe some settling out of what happens with those patent cliffs but for the time being stay away from it I have a lot of ground to cover the next 40 minutes or so my main focus point concerns this topic private credit is having a golden moment and you may be enticed to chase the yield but should you buy or sell the private credit boom that, is, that many are saying is in its golden mode. We're also going to discuss where value is in the market. We talked about how the market is not particularly cheap, nor is it drastically overvalued. And that there are always opportunities within every single market even if broadly the market isn't a screaming buy long-term. So we're going to look at what the numbers are saying and kind of give you context of how to look at those valuations. Also, the big narrative as of late coming out of the Fed is the discussion about winding down QT, So we're going to talk about what that might look like and why they are doing it or planning to do it. And then lastly, uranium prices. Uranium prices have hit its highest level since 2007. If you know me, if you've been listening for a while, I've been bullish on uranium for the better part of two years. And now we are at the highest level since 2007. Is there more room to run? We're going to discuss that as well. Now my voice bank questions are in regards to SEP IRAs as well as STAG Industries, S-T-A-G. Now as we go to our first break, let me remind you that our new classroom series is up. Our latest episode on how to prioritize your savings with Luke and I is for free over there on our YouTube channel. So just head over to YouTube and search Invest Talk Classroom. And now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Now, if you've been listening to Invest Talk for a while, you may have heard several callers ask about Steve Peasley. Where is he? When will he return to the podcast microphone? Well, Steve has prepared a short message for you. So let me read that. Now. I know many of you have been wondering why my presence on InvestTalk throughout 2023 was so spotty. Well, the reason for my absence has been my current battle with cancer. Pancreatic cancer. My fight has it, had its ups and downs, and I'm currently on my third round of chemotherapy. My wife Suzanne has been taking wonderful care of me, and I fight every day for her, my family, and you, our loyal listeners. There's nothing I would love more than to connect with you again and help you on your financial journey. But for right now, I must focus on this battle. I will be off air until the time comes that I'm able to put this behind me. I know you are in good hands with Justin and now Luke as they are sharp as they come and very experienced in the world of finance and economics. I thank you all for your concern and I hope to speak with you all again later in the year. Now, those are Steve's words, and we sincerely thank all our listeners, clients, friends, and Steve's treatment is continuing. We support him in every way we can, and I will uh, certainly pass along any updates when Steve sends this to me.
3: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve Financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
1: Now let's take a look at the market performance for today. It was a, another nice update day overall and we are now positive for the S&P on the year now the broader Russell 3000 does still sit in negative territory just 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 briefly Uh, and that's mainly because smaller caps have certainly been weaker to start the year than those large caps a, a bit of a counter from what you saw to close the year still there's a general uptrend in in small caps versus uh, the large caps but we'll see if this is just a modest pullback or something more broadly so something we'll certainly be monitoring as a whole now tomorrow you have some big the, the latest of uh the big economic numbers uh, and that is the CPI print for the month of December and Everyone focuses on this because I really don't know why. I think it's just the, the standard. It's kind of like the Dow. Say, like, oh, I follow the Dow because it's been around the longest. It has the biggest number, et cetera. What's more important are like the PCE deflator uh, and those that that the Fed follows and thus impacts monetary policy. No, not to say that CPA doesn't have an impact, but... There, there's a lot of skew to it. We talk uh, many times about the lagged effect of shelter, the shelter component of CPI, uh, because it's only calculating rents, which many of the rents were signed 11, 10, 11 months ago, as opposed to what rents are currently, for example. So there's a lot of lag to it that's going to continue to kind of put downward pressure on CPI. Now, what's interesting, though, is the... Market, uh, if the Fed is starting to focus more on not just the one-year inflation rate, they've talked recently about the six-month. So, if I'm taking anything away from this number, is not just going to be what that year-over-year year number is going to be because of base effects. That is naturally going to come down. It's month-over-month. Month. Are we getting a reacceleration? Is it flat? Is it decelerating, uh, et cetera? So, I think that will be what the market will focus on tomorrow and then we have the major bank earnings coming out on Friday morning so you'll get uh, some of those announcements and then uh, really next week we kick into high gear with earnings season and that will be it would be very interesting to see what the retailers are saying about how the year close with the holiday season what they expect going forward with the consumer uh, how we know bank write-offs are going to increase. Is that going to be more than expected or less? And how are they? There's been an uptick in delinquencies on car loans and, and you'll see things on social media. Oh, mortgage delinquencies are up hundred and twenty percent, auto-linked users are up, you know, 200 percent, etc. But that's, once again, from a very, very low level, a lot of that's reversion to the mean. So, you know, the color that those banks give to what the consumer is doing is going to have a very, uh, I think, large impact on how the markets price in a uh, the, the economy going forward. All right, now we're heading into a break, but you can call right now and get through with 888-99-CHART.
3: stock market is constantly changing and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk.
1: 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point concerns a topic about private credit and its golden moment. At least that's what the president of Blackstone is currently saying. And we know throughout history that when anyone ever says that, it usually doesn't portend well for future returns within that asset class. Now, that doesn't all have to go to hell in a handbasket, but it's pretty clear that there's a lot of hype around this industry and there's a lot of yield chasing, especially because these fund groups are touting pretty large yields. Now they're rebranding this space, private credit, as opposed to private debt. Now these type of companies have been around a long, or light type of funds have been around a long time. You might Know them better as business development companies, BDCs. There are many out there that are publicly traded. In fact, currently there are about 47 BDCs currently traded on the markets that have pretty high yields. You might see 9, 10, 12, 15% yields. And what's happening here is there's been a boom in private credit. Moving, borrowing away from your traditional markets. From banks lending to these businesses as well as businesses borrowing within the bond market. And it's made that private credit market very opaque. Meaning, nobody really knows what's in that. Because there's not the disclosures that are needed, like they are with more publicly traded funds, and many of them, including Blackstone, BlackRock, are pitching these very attractive yields through oftentimes fund managers or sorry sorry uh, investment investment advisors. Think of the ones that you would have at your big. Broker shop. Think the Merrill's and Morgan Stanley's of the world. Now, the yields that are reported on the fund management websites often are very, very high. The average manager reported yield on private credit is 11.3 percent, more than three percentage points higher than junk, junk rated debt, which currently yields about eight percent on average. Now, if you go back in history and you look at some of those BDCs, a lot of them did fall out of bed during the financial crisis. Overall, junk bonds fell about 35% during the financial crisis. They acted a lot like equities, and that's kind of what risky credit is. It's kind of a hybrid between safer bond-like assets and Equities, Because at some point when there are defaults in the high yield market, which often there are a lot during times of stress, those assets become equities, right? During bankruptcy, usually bond investors get equity of the new entity. So even though the history of junk bonds is high volatility... these private credit funds are offering yields that are 300 basis points, so 3% higher than what junk bonds are currently trading at. And they're, they're talking like they are relatively low risk. But the reality is private credit is very risky indeed. Otherwise, it would not be trading or paying those yields. Or there's a mispricing, meaning that The managers can find borrowers that can pay back the loans, but charging them interest rates like they couldn't. Now, if you look at a lot of these funds, some of them are listed on Morningstar, and their yields are much more down to earth, much closer to junk bonds. Now, what's the reality? Well, the reality is that what they tell you the yield is, is not really the true economic profit that you're getting. The reality is a lot of those manager yields are calculated by dividing full distributions, interest and dividends, along with all types of other cash flows, including proceeds from loan maturities. And capital gains on assets that are sold before maturity. But that's just returning your capital back to you. That's not an actual economic yield. And so be careful when you get pitched these things, you hear about them, that you have to understand what the actual yield is what the dividends and interest are, not return of your money. And then fees. The average prospectus, fee level is between two on the low end and as high as six and a half, or 6.7% on the very high end. So the fees are very high as well. So it's pretty clear that many people are going to be pitched this and it's gonna sound enticing, but the reality is far from the sales pitch. Now we're heading to a break, so give me a call. At eight eight nine nine chart. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where Hacker One comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI Red Teaming is the practice of stress-testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use. And that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's hackeron dot com. Hackerone.com. Each day, Invest
3: Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Oh, hi. I wanted to leave a question for the podcast. By the way, I've been a long time listener way back to your grandfather, Justin, I think 28 years ago. Uh, you started listening. Long story short, I'm very high risk. I uh, have hundreds of thousands of dollars in different accounts, but I do have a, a SEP IRA for my wife with about $250,000. She's 60, so basically I'm sure she can't touch that money to 65. I don't want to be risky with that money. So um, what am I missing? If a six-month T-bill I was just looking at is 5.28%, is it that simple? I would just throw the, personally, throw 250000 bucks in there for six months, and then I would be getting, you know, maybe 13000 a little over, and some change in interest in six months. Sounds like a no-brainer. Am I missing something? And what would be the symbol to do that? I'm with Schwab. Thank you so much, and just certainly have enjoyed the show. My shout-out is, number one, before any money or anything, is to Steve. Miss you. Hoping, I don't know what happened or anything, but I, I knew something was up. I haven't heard you forever, and we're praying for you that you get a speedy recovery. Love you guys. Bye.
1: Well, thank you for the kind words for Steve. I'll certainly pass those on. Now, what you're looking at is are – you're looking at T-bills. And you're doing a slight miscalculation, however, is that the number that you're you're trying to – get is actually annualized. So on a six month basis, you're actually getting half that. Okay. So when you see the yield on a six month T bill is five point whatever percent, then you're you're only getting that if you bought them consecutively and six months from now, it's yielding the same amount, right? So if these are annualized numbers, so in reality, that 250,000 in a five ish percent yielding T bill, going out six months, your total return over the six months will be somewhere in the two and a half percent range. So a little over $6,000. So guaranteed, right? Decent yield, especially what you compared to uh, as of late, but you're, you're aggressive investor. Look at returns on equities last year, even underperforming parts of the market did, did, low teens right and a lot of people got caught up in oh look I'm getting 5% on T-bills but the reality is that long term equities are going to outperform cash that's the reality a lot of people get caught up oh uh, look I'm getting 5% Because they're so used to never getting that. But it doesn't change the reality that equities tend to do better. And so, you know, even when the market is modestly overvalued, it's still a better place to be than cash. So this a few times lately, I said long-term nominal returns on equities are somewhere in the 10% range. So let's say markets are modestly overvalued. Well, that means future returns are 8%, 7%. Now, there's certainly lumpy, a lot more volatility. But if you're able to take that volatility, because you say you're a risky investor... Equities are going to be a better place to be over an extended period of time. Now, a lot depends on your time horizon. You you talked about a SEP IRA. That's a retirement account. But so unless you're retiring soon, taking money out, you know, you have a long time horizon. And over a 10-year period, there's a very good chance that equities will do better than Cash, and that's what T-bills are. It's effectively cash. Short duration, short term, not a lot of risk there. Obviously, no credit risk. Some duration risk, but very little. Uh, And remember, the Fed could start cutting rates. So six months from now, that 5-ish percent yield, maybe 4.5 for the next six months. Maybe four. And that's what's kind of the market is pricing in. The market is pricing in, on a one-year basis, 4.82%. So currently, the market is saying, "Yeah, you'll earn five and a quarter going out six months." But six months from now, that six-month, that next six-month T-bill is probably going to be closer to a four and a half rate. Saying there's going to be three rate cuts effectively between now and uh, June or uh, July. So that's the way to interpret it. Let's talk a little bit about value and where there are opportunities in the marketplace today. Now we know growth stocks generally appear expensive, and that gives value a statistical edge going forward going out you know multiple years. Now, as I just said, the first question you have to ask yourself, In your allocation decision is, are equities expensive or cheap? And the reality is, they're a bit expensive, but not egregiously so. Not to the levels of 2021 and 22. Let's call it 21, right? When everything kind of peaked out. And... Yes, the MAG7 stocks generally are, are, are pretty expensive, but they're not dot-com level expensive. So the question is, where can you find good value? And it's not just about that low PU stock, right? It's about growth at a reasonable price. That's where the best alpha is, the best investments are. Not the ones with the cheapest P-ratio or price-to-sales or anything like that. So you want to look at what we call the PEG ratio. You also want to look at good companies with good return on capital, good return on equity, return on assets. You want to avoid companies with bad balance sheets and poor historical growth rates. And that's where you start. And there's a lot of stock screeners out there that you can use. But that is the beginning stage. That gives you a subset of things to look at. That is not a list of what to go and buy. Because then that is what is called quantitative analysis. Then you have to go and look at qualitative analysis. Meaning looking at those businesses, the leadership, the economic moats that the companies have around their products and services. Do they have intellectual property? Do they have uh, scale advantages? What do they have that allows them to stay profitable over an extended period of time? And how sustainable is that? Now, once you go through that, what are the sectors that tend to be pretty attractive? Well, the first, the, some of the most unattractive sectors right now, defensive stocks. Your big blue chip names that pay dividends. A lot of them are trading at very high P multiples, and with very moderate growth expectations going forward, which puts those not at that doesn't make them safe. Actually, makes them pretty risky. Now, what are the two sectors that are the most interesting? Energy. And insurance and it's not the large energy companies it's actually the smaller ones that have a lot of growth and are still at reasonable prices and insurance there's it's taking a while I think for the market to really wake up to the fact that they're going to benefit from these higher interest rates that they can invest in fairly safe assets, and earn yields once again, which goes directly to their bottom line. And so that's a few places. Industrials are another place where there are a lot of good values, especially in the mid and small cap space as well. So I wanted to highlight that because everyone's asked me what what sectors to look at, et cetera, and what sectors to invest in. And it's not just about the sector. It is truly about the companies um, but it's also important to understand the valuations in the big picture because that will inform your expected returns on equities over the longer term. And that will go a long way to giving you uh, an understanding of of your asset allocation so you don't get too tied into, just chasing that that five percent treasury yield, which is nice, but that can change. Now let's pivot back to the Best Stock Voice Bank and play a question that came in earlier from a listener in Utah.
2: Hi, this is uh, Jay from Salt Lake City. Uh, great show. The reason I was calling, I wanted to say, uh, first of all, our hearts and prayers go out to Steve. Hopefully, he does it all right and gets back to the show soon. About ten years ago, I bought my first stock from his recommendation. It was a uh, Ori. Old Republic. I mean, if you want, you can go ahead and uh, definitely think of it. But I just want to say uh, Steve's helped us all a lot for a long time and uh, our hearts, hearts go out to him.
1: Well, thank you for those kind words. We'll definitely pass along that to Steve. And Old Republic, we actually own this for clients. Uh, we've owned it for a little while now. And this is an insurance company. offers property and liability, commercial insurance, and title and mortgage insurance as well. So earnings did dip a little bit last year, but expected to come back up again. This year, 3.3% dividend yield. Not a huge company, $8.3 billion, so right in the mid-cap space. And trading at about 11 times multiple. It's not a huge grower, but it's a consistent grower. And it's extremely, extremely profitable. And these are the type of names that you want to own. Doesn't get people all riled up and excited because it's not a sexy business, but it's a good business. They have very minimal debt. Price to sales ratio around 1.1. Free cash flow at about $864 million. At a market cap of eight point three, that's about a eleven percent free cash flow yield. That's very strong. And they're starting to buy back shares. We love that. And the payout ratio is about 30%. So that 3.3% dividend yield doesn't sound amazing, right? That With a caller earlier looking at Bristol Myers and, and saying, you know, try, maybe trying to get that 5% yield. This is a much better place to be. Why? Because their business is not really in peril. It's consistent. And they've been increasing that dividend consistently since the 80s. And they have room to because their payout ratio is so low. So, I'm glad Steve helped you on that. And and yeah, we, we still like old Republic. Old and boring, but old and great. Now, we started a new year and a fresh first quarter. And the big question for you is, are you chasing those yields? Is your portfolio aligned? Are you... Chasing the Bristol Myers of the world or the older Republics of the world? What does your portfolio look like compared to the underlying trends in the marketplace and the overall economy? If you can help understanding that, I encourage you to schedule a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting over on our website. Just head over to investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review button on the top right-hand part of the screen, and we will get right back to you. Let's play another caller question now.
2: Hey, Justin and Luke. I was just wondering what you guys thought about Everest Group, ticker symbol EG. I'll listen for the answer on the show.
1: Thank you. Here you go. Another insurance company. Bermuda-based company offering reinsurance and insurance products in the U.S. and international markets. So, the trends are very similar to Old Republic, a bit bigger here, 16 billion versus 8 billion, so about twice the size of Old Republic. Growth is strong, 1.9% dividend yield, so not amazing, but once again, it can pay out that dividend. There's no problem if you look at the payout ratio. That's only, hold that up here, it's only about 12.5%, easily afforded. Free cash flow, about $4.5 billion. $16 billion market cap, very high. Insurance equity, 24%. Trends are positive. Relative strength is not amazing, but it has pulled back. Let me look at the chart here. Yeah, it's pulled back. On a weekly basis, it's down to good support. So I'm going to give Everest Group a thumbs up. Now this is Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal each and every weekday, and that is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And that means we are headed to our final break. So our work continues answering your calls and your questions, and you can submit them now by giving us a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: Um, I wanted to see if you thought that that was a safer place to park the money for long term.
3: Good advice. Stick to a well-thought-out plan for carefully divvying up your money so no single calamity will destroy your portfolio. Want to talk about it? 888-99-CHART is how to get through right now. every investor is working to build a secure financial future how they get there and when they get there that depends on many variables the more you learn about how the market works the better your chances so don't forget to call invest talk 888-99-CHART
2: hey steve and justin love the show i hope you can answer my question i'm a small-time real estate investor i have a few long-term rentals and so I understand how that works, and I, I love 30-year fixed-rate loans. My question is regarding REITs that have commercial property. I know that they, the amortization is a little different. They have to refinance every five years or so. The interest rate changes. Particularly, I've been buying STAG, S-T-A-G, lately. They own warehouse buildings. And I'm wondering what you think about STAG, S-T-A-G. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Looking forward to the answer.
1: Looking at Stag, one of the largest real industrial REITs out there. And this has been in a rally with most of the REIT sector as of late. But I hearken back to what I talked about. I believe it was on Monday's show. Maybe it was late last week. But it was in regards to industrial properties and the fact that during the pandemic, there was a boom in renting out warehouse space. And that's what the majority of Stag's portfolio is comprised of warehouse and distribution buildings. And so what did developers do during the COVID boom when Amazon doubled their warehouse square footage? Well, those they they simply built new facilities, tons of them. And a lot of those are coming on this year and next. And so I think you are and you're already starting to see a reversion to the mean in prices there. And so I would not be excited about adding to this at this point, especially after this recent rally. I think you'll get another probably negative shock, either through interest rates or news that, hey, industrial rents are now declining. I think that's a very likely Outcome over the next 12 to 18 months because of that new supply coming on. So I don't love it. I really don't. Uh, It's a good industrial REIT. Now, if you were going to buy an industrial REIT, I have no problem with this one in particular. It's not saying this is a bad REIT, poorly run, or anything like that. It's just the industry dynamics that are happening today. So I would hold off on it. If you get that next down cycle, like I said, due to higher interest rates, which pushes REITs down or because of uh, rents falling, then I could say it's cheap enough. But after this recent run, uh, I keep it on the watch list. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on this Fed, the latest Fed news. And no, it's not about the pause in interest rates or prognosticating a Fed rate cut. It's actually about QT. And I want to zoom back out here and and explain to you that this, the recent discussion in the December Fed minutes about starting the discussion. (laughs) You know, it was the pre-discussion for the discussion that's likely to happen actually in this upcoming meeting here at the end of of January of when will QT wind down. And it's pretty, they're they're starting to float the idea that they're going to start to wind down QT ...in the early summer and complete QT, meaning stop the balance sheet shrinkage by, say, the end of the summer, September. That seems to be what they're starting to float. And it's so interesting here is because this is probably the more important pivot. And it harkens to what I've said before, which is the Fed's job now is going to be how to keep the government solvent with the amount of debt that's that we have, right? And it's going to be the Treasury along with the Fed trying to keep the system functioning. And that's with all these alphabet soups of policies. And a lot of these things happen behind the scenes. And it's important to understand because there's going to be a lot of fear-mongering about the debt, about this. And it's one of those things where they kind of make up the rules. So as long as they make up the rules and they can kind of do whatever they want, for example, during COVID they bought corporate bonds, which they were not supposed to, but they did, they found loopholes around it. And it's just pretty clear that they're going to manufacture a system that is somewhat in sta- unstable, but when you change the rules to make it more stable, you can kind of keep it going for a long period of time. And it's likely going to happen. It's likely to stay functioning dysfunctionally <laughs> for a long period of time. And this is a good example of this pivot that is going to allow them to keep the system kind of floating along. I'm Justin Klein. This week's another Best Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about a free podcast download, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and view on iTunes as well. Independent thinking shows success. This Invest Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is
0: a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.